This episode is sponsored by Cosmos Ecosystem and Paraswap. Stick around to hear more about them later on this episode. All right, let's let's action. We're shooting. Untold stories. Action. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep together and to unpack some of the most complicated subjects in cryptocurrency, but really the world, to try to understand uh, where we came from and where we're going and how to make a lot of money getting there. I'm just joking about the last port part, but I'm not. Well, or am I? I'm here today with two good friends. We're both, we're very, very, very fortunate to have two good friends in the studio with me today. I have my good friend, Jason Chambers. Jason, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Well, thank you for tolerating me for the next 40, 45 minutes. I appreciate <laughs> that. That's a lot to put on like an Untold Stories business card. Like here's Untold Stories. We do everything you'll ever need forever with crypto. Also, here's a guest. <laughs> and uh, last night I was actually watching um, uh, your show. You um, were the host of Human Weapon, an amazing show that was on History Channel, and anyone can go on, on YouTube, I think, or Amazon and, and watch it. It's a great show where you travel around, around the world, learn the, uh, your professional MMA, uh, learning all of the mixed martial arts of those places and getting the shit be, you know, kicked out of you. Yeah, so you, you watched it last night. Yeah. You're the guy. Fantastic. Call up like <laughs> seven million of your friends. Let's go back and let's try to redo that thing because the reason it's not on TV anymore is not enough Charlie Shrems watched it, so that's that happens. And you've been <laughs> investing in... in being involved in, in crypto, you also own a successful sports uh, agency. Uh, and so there's a huge crossover over between sports, film, crypto. We're going to talk a lot about that today. And also we have Scott Walker. Um, Scott, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Thanks, Charlie. Scott, you've been, you've been around the space for a very long time. You were an early um, uh, crypto miner. You were invested in the Ethereum crowd sale. I uh, very well-known, very well-known guy. I, you have, um, uh, multiple funds that you've been involved in, in a lot of different projects for, I think your anniversary is in, in the crypto space is almost 10 years. And I remember like, uh, funny, like funny story. Everyone in crypto knows, knows of you. You're, you're, a, uh, an, an OG. And, um, I remember saying to myself, I need to go see Puerto Rico for the first time. I, I heard there's a huge crypto community down there, Bitcoin, uh, everyone's been doing crazy things. And I remember uh, getting there and I didn't know who to call or what to do. And all of a sudden, scruffy guy, Scott Walker, picks me up in his, in his Jeep, his rickety old Jeep. No, I'm joking. I love your Jeep. And we're driving around Puerto Rico, you know, all the streets like the back of your hand. And like you were like, you just moved here. And I almost feel like that, the way you were driving those streets of San Juan, and navigating and how you know everyone, uh, I kind of look at that as like the connective tissue in crypto and, and that's what you do. Is that, is that a fair way to describe it? Um, I guess, uh, you know, specifically speaking about uh, Puerto Rico, it's been almost four years since I moved here. And our, uh, we have, I, I would just call it kind of a tribe that has, uh, that has come out, lots and lots of friends. And so, you know, we, we, we have a great time we enjoyed doing events together. It was amazing having you there. Obviously, you got to see one of our, you know, you got to host one of our, you know, Monday uh, crypto, uh, you know, extravaganzas. They're always fun. Such a such a good time. What's what's it like being down there with, you know, you probably get this question a lot, but what's it like being down there with people who are constantly on, but not just on, but but on the like leading edge, the cutting edge. Uh, of trailblazing of of our whole world that we're in right now. Yeah, that is one thing that I found really, really great. Uh, when I first moved here, it was you know obviously the end of uh, 2017. You know, crypto had been doing some you know pretty crazy things, and you know I knew that they had incentives for uh, for residents. So uh, so I moved out, and just the type of um, you know, the type of people that you meet out here are just, um, everybody has a different story. Um, you know, most everybody is coming from East Coast U.S., uh, you know, some West Coast U.S., and, you know, super successful, super cool entrepreneurial type, uh, type individuals. And so it's been, uh, it's been a great time. Uh, can't, can't brag about it enough. I love it here. Everyone who's working on a lot of different 
projects, it seems like you remember the early days of Ethereum and then you had Switzerland, Zug, that was a big thing. A lot of people were moving out there because it was very friendly. It seems like Puerto Rico and to some extension Miami too are those new places. Like we mentioned the Casper Network, the, they have there's a, an office down there. A lot of uh, you work with Brock Pierce and uh, a lot of his companies and projects. We had dinner. Um, how many that that first night when I was speaking in front of hundreds of people, I felt like I was at a, a Bitcoin conference, but everyone just lives there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a um, it's become a, a tight knit community. Everybody, you know, when I mean, when you think about it, it's one thing to move. Let's say you're going to move from. Uh, New York to Florida. It, it's one thing. It's a big, it's a big step, but it's not like, like moving to an Island. Okay. This is kind of like, I, I, I compare Puerto Rico to Hawaii. It's like basically, you know, loading up all of your belongings and flying to an Island. And all of a sudden you're out there on your own. You don't know what it's going to be like. And as more and more people from your community start to arrive, um, everybody's kind of in the same boat. And we're all kind of like, hey, what are you doing on Wednesday? And so, you know, we have like all these different, uh, you know, WhatsApp and telegrams. And, you know, we got all these different groups. And so we got guys that are going golfing. We got guys that are playing tennis. We got guys that are, you know, running and climbing the mountains. And, you know, whatever group you want to get in, you just join them and you meet like, you know, cool, you know, tons of cool people. Um, I haven't spent that much time in Miami. I'm looking forward to seeing you up there soon. Yeah, I'm excited to see you in a few weeks in, in, at a Bitcoin Miami. But what you just described, if someone jumped in late, they thought you would be describing Bitcoin or the crypto community, not Puerto Rico. Like everything you just described, it's the perfect, it's the same ethos, but it's like physical now instead. Yeah, it is. Um, and I, I don't know, um, this does feel a little bit like uh, maybe Silicon Valley in the, uh, you know, I guess in the 80s and 90s, as it really kind of became the tech hub of the, you know, probably the world. Um, this Puerto Rico right now is kind of feeling like um, it's really becoming a hub for, for technology, crypto, a lot of just really interesting stuff happening here. So you, you, um, you've been investing full-time in, in a lot of uh, different companies over the years. Uh, some of your notable investments, like we mentioned Casper, you have Kyber Network, Polkadot. Um, there's so many on the list here. And now I guess there's a, you have a, a benefit, especially during COVID that some of these, when you're like figuring out uh, what your next project is that you want to be involved with, uh, you can actually probably go visit some of these people that are, that are in Puerto Rico, uh, which is really, really great for you. But what are some things that you look at when you're getting involved in, in a company or a project, whether it's investing or advising, like what, is there a common thread? Is there a, an investment thesis that you have a common thread that like your life follows? Uh, great question. Um, le let me start by, uh, by, by going back and giving you kind of my two minutes of, uh, of, of how this whole crypto investment uh, process began. And uh, it, it goes back to like uh, 2000. I was, uh, I was living in California. I was an entrepreneur, had a small company. We were doing um, downloadable software applications. And uh, a company came and bought us. And the guys that bought us, they also bought this thing called Kazaa, which if you go far enough back, you probably remember. Oh my God, so yeah, I used it. We had like the largest downloadable application uh, service in the world. And they, uh, they, they bought our company to kind of, I guess, help manage some of the value of the downloads coming from there. And to make a long story short, in 2004, inside Kazaa, they had this um, ringtone channel uh, where you could buy and sell ringtones. And that really caught my attention. And so I convinced the board, the guys that I was working for, to have me spin off this separate division. And so by, uh, by like late 04, I was CEO of a, of a little software startup that was doing ringtones and mobile games. Timing was really good. Um, you know, we grew it really fast. Went public in 2007. Um, we, uh, we had, you know, a pretty reasonable uh, market cap, like uh, I think about 100 million or $150 million market cap. Uh, I sold out 
and uh, became an angel investor. I met uh, Brock back in 07. And we just started like making small little uh, investments in, I guess you'd call them technology and startups. I read in, uh, I read the Wired Magazine article in 2011, Charlie, that got me my first taste of Bitcoin. Like what, what is it? It was the rise and fall of Bitcoin. You remember that article, I'm of sure. Of course, of course. And um, of course, um, you know, I'm stupid. So I didn't do anything until like finally a year later, a friend of mine said, you know, hey, Scott, I know you're an angel investor. What do you think about Bitcoin? And, I, you know, this is like middle 2012. And I was like, you know, I read about it, but, uh, you know, I don't know much. I think it was $50 or $70 at the time. And I'm like, it sounds interesting. And so he had these entrepreneurs, they came and pitched me. And basically they were doing, I guess, kind of like a, a, a local Bitcoin idea, but there was already local Bitcoin. So, um, so I had them come in and kind of pitched Brock and I, and we decided not to do it. I told Brock, I don't care. I just, I love this idea. Now I'm, I'm hooked. How do we get involved? And he's like, I'm actually about to start mining, uh, some Bitcoin. So I'm like, I'm all in. I, uh, I'm like, how do I get started? He's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wire transfer $200,000 to this Russian company, here's the tra wire transfer instructions. Oh he wrote God. it on a notepad. And I'm like, cool, when do you need it? He's like, tomorrow. So I'm like, okay, great. Um, this is one of my biggest investments I've yeah. ever made. I have to do some diligence. So the actual process went something like this. I'm sitting at the table looking at Brock like I'm looking at you. And I go, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, I'm sure. Like, okay. And so that was it. So, uh, so we bought a bunch of, um, these, Charlie, these were Avalon, Gen 1 Avalons. And uh, you might remember they were the first generation of ASICs. Mm. So I think they sold new for like 2,500, but we were paying 25,000 bucks a machine for those machines. So literally I bought 10 Avalons, uh, Gen 1s. We stuck them over in John Yantis's garage and, uh, you know, he started mining for us. And so that's basically where it all started. I never bought a Bitcoin ever in my life. I just mined them. And then, you know, within like six months, the, uh, the machines were completely inefficient. We, yeah. literally, we literally threw them in the trash. Um, and then I just decided, you know, do we want to keep mining more? And we we're like, let's not do that. Let's just try investing our Bitcoins. And so Little by little, um, you know, we launched the first ever ICO. Um, of course, back then it was called a crowd sale, and that was MasterCoin. Um, Brock and John were on the board of directors of the MasterCoin Foundation, and we helped those guys raise a million bucks, which at the time was 5,000 Bitcoin. And, you know, six months later, they got it listed on Poloniex. We made a bunch of master coins. This I is made trailblazing right here. There was no listing on exchanges. There was no tokens. Oh. There was no, none of this. It, it, the yeah, first time this, this was the first. I remember MasterCoin. Most people don't know that. In fact, Tether, that is one of the largest market cap stable coins nowadays, was first built on MasterCoin on top of the Omni network on top of Bitcoin before it eventually moved off to Tron and Ethereum. Um, right. That was the early ethos of it. It's crazy. That was it. And here's a, you know, here's an interesting story that not a lot of people know. When they printed new master coins, they burned the associated bitcoins. So those guys. Yeah, they did. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Oh my god, why did five thousand? Why does anyone talk about that? To launch it, they wanted to be, you know, because you know David Johnston. He's a, uh -huh. you know, he's a decentralization, you know, uh, guru, and he didn't want it to be a shit coin. He just said, this is going to be built on top of the Bitcoin network. Here's the, you know, here's the vision for it, colored coins. And, uh, it was, it was an interesting time that, you know, that it's, it definitely shows us how short sighted we are when we like dig our feet in the sand. And then years later, uh, sometimes like we don't realize that, Hey, we should actually be a little bit more open-minded because things evolve sometimes out of our control. Yep. So when you really first did. started and you sent that money to get the miners, was there a party that said, let me just buy some Bitcoin and see where this goes first? Or did you just went double feet all in? Let's just start mining it. Cause today everyone's like, 
I want to mine Bitcoin. I'm like, you're only 10 years too late and it worked for nine <laughs> minutes anyways. It's um, God, you're so right. You, you, you know what? I, I can't tell you what a horrific experience every single one of my mining experiences has been, including and that one. I, I obviously I, I could have gotten far more Bitcoins just buying them on the open. Like if I would have been smart, I would have just called Charlie in the first place. But here's what I'll tell you. And this is a, this is an interesting thing. You can tell who's an entrepreneur and who is more of an investor at heart by how they first get into crypto. Entrepreneurs see mining and think, oh, that's a business. I can do it better than you. I'm going to go buy miners. I'm going to get cheaper electricity. I'll get the best deal on these chips. I'll do all these things that you guys can't do and I'll win. So instead of just, just shut up and buy Bitcoin. Um, you know, we all bought, you know, we all bought mining machines and, you know, the same with Litecoin and yeah. Ethereum. Yeah, you're right. In investors are really just entrepreneurs who, who have more confidence in themselves. And I guess what I mean is that when you're an investor, you believe that the value, the amount of dollars that you get or the capital that you're going to be investing in, that will, that's a tap that'll just keep on coming. Your ability to earn money is, will always be there. So you can then take that money that you earned, that you worked so hard and then invest in other places. Whereas an entrepreneur, and that's how I got involved in, in Bitcoin for the first time was, was building a company, was either you're someone who doesn't have any money or you're young enough or you don't trust in your ability to earn. And so you don't want to invest, you rather just provide services. And even till today, I believe that my, my capital my personal human capital is far more valuable, far more valuable than any dollar or dollars. Without a, without a doubt. And I think, uh, I think that goes to prove that you're also more of an entrepreneur, Charlie, than, uh, than just a, you know, a, a typical investor. Isn't it? I was just thinking about the whole ringtone Kazaa thing that you were talking about earlier. Because... You know, you know, we look at life and then you look at you have all these different stars or whatever. And there's like there's a picture somewhere and it shows like, yeah, when you're looking at your life, you see all these different pathways that you can take. But then you're in hindsight, you'd look at that one pathway that you did take. Uh, it's so funny you mentioned ringtones and kazaa, because when I was younger, I remember looking at some of these technologies that were coming out and like always wondering how they would like just change the world in a big way. And you mentioned ringtones and then that company can go. It's crazy to think now that a company that just did ringtones could go public. Right. But that was mm -hmm. such a novel thing. The ability to take MP3s, slice them up. And it's funny because people were downloading on Kazaa to listen to music or whatever they were doing. And out of all the things that was happening, the where you monetized it was on ringtones. Right. It's so interesting. Was it a freedom of, of expression? Do you think? Why? And that, is that yeah, is, is that a good? I think it was a little yeah. bit that uh, you know back then, um, and everybody that the was NFTs. That's what I'm thinking about. It's a good point. Yeah, well, everybody that was of age. Remember, in 04, remember your flip phones had what we called mono. Um, mono, oh, yeah. Yes, my flip so phone had mono. That explains a lot. You remember those? <laughs> my phone still has mono. It doesn't yeah. work anymore. Uh, mine's got herpes 2.0. <laughs> that's why I don't talk on anything but speaker. <laughs> The polyphonic ringtones were the ones that just did those beeps. Well, so, the you ones know, that the, it could only, some phones could only do monophonic, remember? And if you could do poly, that was like legit. You can have yeah. multiple different noises. Now my printer, when it prints, it sings polyphonic songs. It's like, dee, wow. dee, dee, dee. it's like, it's cool. And my washing machine too. It's weird. Congratulations. You've gone super nerd, Charlie. <laughs> polyphonic ringtones. <laughs> I'm gonna sit over here for a little while. That's what it all, that's what all started, man. On the, on the, uh, you know, on all those flip phones. Once they had the polyphonic ringtones, um, obviously the, you know, the business and, you know, in, in, in the way that you learn when ringtones were a thing and, you know, our, our company kind of grew from zero to a hundred million dollars in revenue in literally like 24 months, um, just selling those, uh, you know, ringtones all over the world. Um, we had like big deals with, um, we were on MySpace, we we're on, uh, like, you know, all, you know, all the old school places, that's where you'd advertise, you know, or, you know, buy your ringtones. And um, who knew that, uh, you know, literally like two years later, Steve Jobs 
would put all of that music onto the phone and just let you make free, you know, now there's nobody pays for a ringtone. Yeah. That hasn't yeah. happened in 10 years, 15 years. If you have not already started exploring the land of Cosmos and their whole ecosystem, make sure you start checking them out now. There are so many projects and blockchains that are launching in the Cosmos ecosystem using the Tendermint SDK, including actually our sponsor, Kava Labs, are in there using their decentralized protocols. And one of my favorite things about Cosmos is the fact that all blockchains that launch in their ecosystem come with this inter-blockchain interoperability, IBC, that really allows all companies and products and individual blockchains within Cosmos to not only work together, but all out of the box interact with each other. You really need this from the start because imagine if from the start, all blockchains can talk and work with each other in a decentralized way. Well, that's what Cosmos is doing from the get-go. Make sure you listen to uh, an awesome episode I did on here on Untold Stories with the Tendermint CEO, Peng Chong. It was really, really awesome. And I learned a lot about not only crypto and blockchains, but just life in general. Make sure you check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash cosmos. That's untoldstories.link forward slash cosmos. The biggest problem with DeFi today as we know it is there are simply no aggregators or way to bring all of this information and data together so we can trade off of it. If we're going to Uniswap and we're clicking sell, 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 or buy, buy, buy. I mean, imagine staying up till two o'clock in the morning just so you can make a trade. The folks at Paraswap, my newest sponsor, are doing exactly that. They are the fastest and most liquid aggregator on the Ethereum blockchain. They've built a state-of-the-art algorithm that aggregates all the major decentralized exchanges in order to beat the market price. They are willing to offer you on your first swap a 50% gas refund. Check it out in the show notes. I mean, there's no reason not to use PowerSwap. It's the same thing as using any of these other sites, but you're getting a better price, zero slippage, better swap, safer, faster, more secure. Uh, what's what's the downside? There is none that I could think of. And you're getting your first swap, 50% gas fees paid for. It solves every problem that I could think of. Make sure you check them out. They're my sponsors. I love them. And I love them even more that they're pushing crypto forward. What's um? So you're a serial, a serial entrepreneur. We've had a lot of ringtone discussion. What are you working on right now? More ringtones? No, it's been, it's been a long time since, uh, since ringtones. Really, you know, back in, back in 2012 and 2013, when, uh, when, when Bitcoin kind of caught, captured my uh, imagination, we did try, we actually, uh, we had a little office in Santa Monica that we called Bitropolis and, uh, yeah, and you know, Brock kind of opened it and it was, it was kind of like the first co-working space for Bitcoin related enterprises. We had, um, we had Express Coin. You remember Express Coin, Charlie, Will Wheeler and Express Coin was there. We had, um, GoCoin. Steve, yeah, Steve Beauregard and GoCoin was in those offices. Um, we had attorneys that were, you know, launching like legal practices. Um, you know, we had yeah, everyone like, that was coming through LA would, would pass through. I remember you do all these events and, and things like that. Yeah. And so in that fact, was like 2013. Yeah. When I got out of jail in 2016, I remember Brock was like the first person that I had called and he was just like updating me on what's been going on in this. I remember I was like in my mother-in-law's basement that I have Brock Pierce Yep. telling me about GoCoin and like what's been going on. And I said, oh my God, like crypto is crazy now. Bitcoin's crazy now. It's 2016. It's too late. I've missed my chance to get back into the space. I had to like rebuild my whole like fortune from scratch because I had lost it all. And, uh, and then Brock Pierce offered me a job. He was the first person to offer me a job uh, in the crypto space. So, th so thank you, Brock. I appreciate that. I know you're listening to the show. That's awesome. Yeah, you better be listening. <laughs> You guys have mentioned so many altcoins um, from way back before I was into crypto. Now, have most of these just, if they rebranded, have they just gone to crap? Where are most of these projects nowadays? That's a good question. Wow. That's yeah, a master great coin, question. Master coin, name coin. Well, there's a, so like, let's look at uh, Litecoin. So Litecoin was actually a fork of, you know, I'm going to forget if it's prime coin or feather coin or name coin. One of those three. Shit. I don't want to, I don't want like someone's going to yell at me. Someone's gonna, Charlie, you're head. wrong. That guy doesn't know shit about Litecoin. Yeah. He said the wrong name. 
But I mean, I think it just speaks to like people that are getting into crypto now. They go on Coin Market Cap and they go, "What is there? There's Bitcoin, Ethereum. Oh my God, there's eight thousand four hundred and twelve projects." So, and I try to explain to people from my you know very much armchair quarterbacking perspective that you have to do due diligence because this is a disruptor in the space, but. How do you figure out which of these coins is going to be around when we're having that podcast in 10 years with Charlie Shrem? And then we're like, remember that thing that was great we all put money into that was an exit scam yeah. back in Tibet? <laughs> there were a lot of those. Uh, and like Rhino coin, you know, some of these things like, you know, um, there were a lot of these these projects over the years that that kind of like didn't have that full cycle. And I guess what you're learning is that there needs to be like a full when, when capital's going, being locked into, you know, that's the way you kind of look at it nowadays. It's like how much value is locked in to this, in this smart contract, whether that's people keeping it in Bitcoin as just like a store value, media, you know, value of exchange, you have uh, uh, collateralization, an amazing asset, you have things like Ethereum and so, so on and so forth. If you have these projects or you have these capital locks where there is a reason to keep it locked, but also then utilize it and then also like, People who make money in that want to reinvest it in that, and you have multiple VCs. It creates like a like a good cycle. A lot of the early coins were just tests because there was no faith in in Bitcoin fully yet as like a whole. So yeah, most of them did disappear. I wonder what the second oldest coin is. It's probably Litecoin or maybe Dogecoin. I, I don't I know. Litecoin is too. I I do. I think Litecoin was the literally the first uh, the first like major or at least major. Um, it, I mean, we can do a wayback machine. Just do a wayback machine on Coin Market, Coin Market Cap. Cap. Yeah, that's yeah. a good so, point. Uh, you can you can look it up. Anybody at home uh, can look it up. Do the wayback machine as far back as you can go on Coin Market Cap, and it's fascinating to look at. Uh, one thing that I will tell you is, uh, you know, we 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 did quite a few dinners with um, with uh, with the guys over at uh, Dogecoin. So um, that's one that has maintained somehow. I don't know how. Um, Let's but, talk uh, about Dogecoin for a second. <sighs> I know. Look at the XRP, Dogecoin. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of those old oldies but goodies. Dogecoin, every, you know, the press and the world doesn't focus on why things are the way they are and how they started and why they started. That's literally the reason I started this show. No one, and if you look at like, where Dogecoin was founded, why and how, there's barely anything written about it. And it's like just glossed over like, yeah, this coin started as a joke. That's not exactly what happened. It didn't just start as a joke. Jackson didn't just say, hey, I'm bored one day, I'm going to start this, this thing called Dogecoin. Dogecoin was started as an idea of taking a huge amount of freedom of expression and anti-censorship. And if you can Harness that power in that like strength in numbers, that virus in numerous strength in numbers. And but just do that. Like the ethos of Bitcoin was that Bitcoin could do one thing really, really well. Well, in Dogecoin, the Do original Dogecoin community was like, let's do one thing really, really well. And that's just being fun, making fun of Bitcoin, of crypto, but in a way that's fun, and then allocate capital to things. And one of the first things that Dogecoiners did just on the subreddit years ago was actually get a NASCAR car. Most people don't remember that, but they got a NASCAR car, like 2014 maybe it was, I forget. Yeah, the big hood with the Dogecoin yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. And, but that, and Dogecoin was launched at a time where, 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 where Bitcoin and crypto was like hyper decentralization. Anything that even tries to be decentralized, Bitcoiners will like go for the fastest decentralization, decentralization door. And so in the early days of Bitcoin, everyone was hanging out on these like centralized places, IRC, Bitcoin talk forums, and subreddit, rbitcoin. And rbitcoin became this place where it was an echo chamber controlled by moderators who only wanted specific things talked about. And the reason Bitcoin Cash was launched, the reason Bitcoin SV was launched, the reason most of these forks were launched, the reason Dogecoin came out was because you couldn't talk about anything but Bitcoin on the R Bitcoin subreddit. So hyper-centralization within Bitcoin in the early days of Bitcoin forced that like other coins to be launched. It's interesting how that worked Congratulations, out. Congratulations, you just pumped Doge to a dollar. 
<laughs> That's what I thought Doge was invented so that uh, Elon Musk would have something to troll his Twitter followers about, but evidently I'm learning. So it's pumping because it can. That's it's why it's pumping. 100%. It's pumping because it's can and it's and its value and its utility is you have millions of people around the world who simply know what it is, know how to use it. Why it exists is very basic. And it, why it exists? Because why not? Because it does. Yeah. Like that's the answer. Right. It's Metcalf's it, law. It exists more because users, it does. More exactly. value. Yeah. So, okay. Like to shift away from Dogecoin, I keep hearing you guys talk about Casper. Scott, what is Casper and why is it better than Dogecoin? Yeah. The most important question ever. That's going to be the new barometer for everyone. Should I put money into something that's not Dogecoin? Full disclosure, I'm an investor and advisor in Casper. Scott is and pretty much like everyone else in this industry right now. Yeah. So, um, so let's uh, so so let me give you that uh, the, the the high level is in general the industry is made up of a lot of different categories or sectors. Um, one of the main sectors, and this goes to part of my uh, my the- my investment thesis that I'd like to share before we uh, before we close today. But one of the most important sectors, without a doubt, are what we call layer one blockchains. And layer one blockchains. When I say layer one, I really mean layer one smart contract platforms, okay? Now, the most famous one that everybody knows is called Ethereum. And Ethereum is, uh, is on an incredible tear right now. Um, it, the reason that it, Ethereum is on this tear is because of this perfect storm that we're in uh, that I, I'll, I'll get to later, but I'll, I'll, stick with, uh, I'll stick with Casper for a moment. So knowing that layer one blockchains or layer one uh, smart contract platforms are very important and very valuable. What is happening right now is basically the entire ecosystem for DeFi and NFTs and basically anything that does anything other than Bitcoin store of value is more or less done on top of Ethereum. Okay. And Ethereum has almost half a trillion dollar market cap. And it's broken, completely broken. Yeah, doesn't nice. work. Um, the amount of what we call gas or fees required to do a transaction on the Ethereum network is out of control. It's Insane. crazy right now. So because of that, I've and 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 recognize I'm you know I'm an early investor in Ethereum. I still own a lot of Ethereum. Probably the third or fourth largest holding in my portfolio is Ethereum. And it's, but that's what you just said. That's the cause of the problem, right? Like the, the problem is it's, it's how it was built is fundamentally, it would have to be rebuilt. So the, what you see, the pimple on top of the skin is the high gas fees, but really there's a lot deeper, deeper issues. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So without getting too technical into this, um, Ethereum was built on a proof of work network, just like Bitcoin with miners and the vast majority of the computing power in a proof of work network goes towards solving equations and doing things other than uh, doing transactions. So proof of stake came along. And here's why, in, in my opinion, Casper is a big deal. Um, the reason that it's called Casper is kind of interesting. Um, and I don't know if the, the, the name means anything to you, but there's a there's a a real famous um, researcher, uh, they're Israeli actually, and they came up with a uh, an inherent flaw in proof of stake networks, and this was pointed out back in 2013, and this flaw is called ghost, the greediest, heaviest observed subtree, or ghost for short, and when Vitalik launched. Ethereum, he recognized the scaling problem and wanted to come up with a solution. So Vitalik came up with this, a series of researchers to help him come up with a solution to the ghost problem. And the first solution was something called Casper because it was a friendly solution to the ghost problem. I see and Casper the Friendly that, Ghost. There we go. Yeah, so Casper the Friendly Ghost was always kind of known in the Ethereum community as the solution that Vitalik and his researchers are working on 
in order to scale Ethereum. Now and that we'll was consensus forward. by construction, right? Uh, yeah, let me let me let me break that one down. So let me fast forward now to 2017. Uh, four years go by after Vitalik proposes it, and a white paper is created for something called CBC Casper, correct by construction, which is a computer science formula that basically I'm I'll do a, I'll, I'll butcher the the explanation, but it basically means it's provably live and provably safe. And that means something in computer science. Don't ask me, I'm the wrong guy. Um, but long story short, while these, got, while these researchers were working on this CBC Casper formula, Vitalik came up and said, I'm not going to be able to release this in my first version in what's called Ethereum 2.0. So instead, Vitalik proposed something called FFG Casper, which is Friendly Finality Gadget. And that basically is what they built. So ETH 2.0 that we're all hearing about, um, it's basically the, the Friendly Finality Gadget of Casper. ETH 3.0 is going to be CBC Casper. Now, our developers and researchers love that technology so much, they said, gosh, I don't know how long it's going to take Ethereum to get to this. We're just going to go ahead and build it. And what they did was um, they came to me and they said, Scott, this is the white paper. This is the technology we want to create. Would DNA and you know, would you guys go out there and help us get funding for it? So we looked at the tech. Um, I spent a lot of time with Renal Manahar. Renal is the CEO of Casper. And after looking at it, we said, you know what? This thing is too important. It needs to get built. So we're just going to build it. So long story short, Casper Labs was born. And uh, this is actually kind of an interesting thing. This was October 31st of 2019. Yeah, it's old project. Wait, 18. October 31st of 2018. Um, in just outside of Casper, Wyoming, um, we incorporated the, 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 the basically the company that was going to be tasked with building the Casper blockchain. And, uh, you know, since that time, we went out and we raised about $80 million to help the, you know, to help fund the, the platform. And we just completed the most successful crowd sale in history. On, uh, on, this, on this crowd sale site called CoinList, um, a little over, well, by way of uh, example, Near and Flow were two other layer one top quality uh, blockchain projects that launched on CoinList. I think Near set the record with 10,000 unique registered buyers of their token. Then Flow came and broke their record with 12,000 registered buyers. The Casper sale had 275,000 registered buyers. Oh my God. I mean, it, it just lapped the field by like 20X. It's one of the most important layer one blockchains I, I've ever seen. I'm super excited about it. Um, Charlie's invested, I'm invested. They're literally just about to start trading. Now, thankfully, this uh, this will not be viewed, but you know, by anybody until after trading, because I wouldn't be able to talk about uh, anything about Casper right now. But uh, but they begin trading the token actually tomorrow. So um, you know, one day from from today. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with it. So just to touch on the Ethereum gas fees real quick, because obviously, if you're a, a novice or an intermediate, or obviously someone who's been in the space in a while you're aware that these Ethereum gas fees are just astronomical right now. And we keep hearing about, hey, we have this, um, we have a solution to the problem. But my understanding is that it's like, if you don't like your kitchen on the third floor, it's not as easy as just remodeling that kitchen. You got to dig up the foundation to remove plumbing and that there's actually a, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I want to know that this, this solution that's going to be put into Ethereum may or may not even be a functional one because the code at a fundamental level you kind of have to go back to square one and they're just trying to put band-aids. It's like the finger in yeah. the dike, right? Like it's like, Oh no. And that's why, you know, we see all these other, um, the Caspers of the world coming up because 
Ethereum, this, this proposed solution may not be a solution. Am I right or wrong in that thought process? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly spot on on that thought process. Here's the bottom line. I, I, I use a different analogy. Um, the third floor kitchen is a good analogy, but the way I think of it is what they're doing is they're changing engines on an airplane mid-flight. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's never been done before. You have now, a half a trillion dollars locked up. And the thing is, the reason that half a trillion dollars is locked up in the first place is because a half a trillion dollars worth of value realized that there's a value proposition in de-risking capital for some reason or another, whether that's like collateralizing assets or participating in smart contracts. Cryptocurrency is the promise that you have the decisions that are being made for your own capital are being made by all the people that are in the platform that are using that platform itself. It's by the, by the many, not the one or the two. So when you have a situation like they were even talking about Ethereum two or Ethereum three, and it's being run by a very, very small group of people, th that is a problem in and of itself. The fact, the best thing Ethereum could do could have done was to stop development on its layer one a long time ago and just let that be solid and then everything else can be built on top of it because at least that first level will never be changed. But now it's constantly be upgraded and being upgraded, downgraded, changed, whatever, lateral. And every time that happens, it's another hard fork. Hard forks are dangerous. Hard, every time there's a hard fork, potential to kill the project. You will very rarely see any hard forks, if any, in the future, unless they're emergency for any project. Just the way it is. Very so here, you know, Oh, so here, so um, thank you for for adding that uh, that nuance in there, Charlie. Um, so to to answer your question on this, here's what I will say: Vitalik Buterin is maybe the smartest human being on the planet. If there is one guy on planet Earth that can literally make this change mid-flight, it's probably him. Yeah. And the network, I mean, if Ethereum succeeds. If it does, it's going to be the most valuable network in the world. I, I honestly think that um, it, it will be measured in tens of trillions. I, I, I'm very, very confident that the smart contract layer one platforms will be valued in tens of trillions of dollars. It will not be winner take all. It definitely will be you know, winner take most. Sure. I believe that there will be a handful of really, really valuable layer one uh, smart contract platforms that do different things. Um, you know, Flow was created by the guys that did uh, CryptoKitties. Kitties, right. um, so yep. they're kind of naturals. A lot of NFTs are coming up on Flow. Um, you can't do really NFTs on Ethereum right now. <laughs> you can't trade. Yeah. You can't buy and sell. It's too expensive. So DeFi is what's driving the Ethereum bus today. And, you know, I mean, DeFi is just, it's world changing. Um, it get that gets into my, uh, you know, again, back into my thesis. Yeah, let's, that I, I want to get into your thesis. Everyone is like sitting on the edge of their seat. Okay. okay. Do we have 10 minutes that I can just you kind of like 20 minutes? Yeah. Oh, well, you are the man. Okay. So this is my crypto perfect storm thesis. And what I, what it says is we're in the, <laughs> we're still in the first inning. This is a $100 trillion network that's about to be created. We're seeing it right now. And the actual value of what we see, it's a trillion or two, depending on how you take it. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to measure. We could spend the whole day doing that. But I just want to give you how this perfect storm started. So as we all know, in 2009, Satoshi opened Pandora's box by creating an immutable blockchain. We didn't know what it was for. We didn't even know that it was a cool thing, but we sensed it. Charlie, you sensed it ahead of all of us, okay? But little by little, we learned. Back in 2013, this is really interesting. Brock Pierce created the first stablecoin, okay? And we didn't really know what the value of it was. He brought it to me and said, do you want to invest? And I'm like, I mean, Really, my really good friend is the CEO. My really good friend is the founder. My other friend is the CTO. I know the guys really, really well. And I'm like, 
why would I invest in this? It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what it was for. But 2009, we got a blockchain and Bitcoin. 2013, we got a stable coin. In 2014, Vitalik taught us the value of smart contracts. And then we thought that was all we needed. And suddenly the market took off. But we then learned that those ICOs that were getting built on top of, uh, you know, Ethereum and, you know, we didn't really need stable coins for anything. It didn't really have the necessary four table legs to become what we now have. And what happened was in 2018, this brilliant, brilliant kid named Hayden created this automated market maker called it Uniswap, and it changed everything. The technology behind Uniswap basically was the, that was the spark that lit the fire. So it wasn't the concept of Ether Delta where you can just matching order books in a decentralized way. It was taking, what was that AMM? What was that? Why was that so brilliant? Here's basically what he did. This will be, again, a butchered explanation. But if you put in $1,000 worth of Bitcoin and $1,000 worth of Tether, USDT or USDC, it doesn't matter, whatever the stable coin is. If you want to go out and you want to buy Bitcoin, okay, you would then place a buy order and that would increase the price of the Bitcoin and lower the price of the, of the Tether and it would automatically stabilize it. It would, so it would automatically, the next trade up, the Bitcoin price would be higher. If you were selling Bitcoin, it would lower the price of Bitcoin and it automatically stabilizes so that it's always 50-50. So every pool is always on a 50-50 basis. And there's way better guys to explain how that is, but what that did was it allowed any two assets to be traded on a decentralized platform without a market maker in between. Like a so canal lock. So much of the, it's taken away so much of the trading volume from Coinbase and Binance and you know, all of those guys. So like two bodies of water, canal lock in between, the canal lock creates like a, a middle, you know, like to keep it, or it doesn't really work that way, the analogy, but like, I, no, I see you, your point. That, yeah. that visualization helps me. That helps me understand it too. I think that's what the AMM, some smart people will actually get on here and correct me, but I think that's a good example of how the AMN, AMM works and it keeps it always equal. Until he launched that, there was no decentralized way of collateral. There, no one, until he launched that, until that was invented, everything that came from that, there, everything was focused on like self-custodializing your, your crypto, keeping it off of your own thing and then holding it, holding it was the best way long-term. But, but then once we figure this out, you can, in a, in a safer way, keep your holdings in a smart contract and have it work for you for the betterment of the overall crypto space. Because now we also have treasury management. So all these ICOs don't need to like sell their crypto either. They can put it into these liquidity pools and then earn interest from it and then use that to fund whatever they're building. Absolutely. It created like and a so, whole cycle. Yeah. And so the, basically the cycle kind of came like this. So Bitcoin was created. It became a store of value. And now it has a trillion dollar market cap. I believe Bitcoin's on pace for an easy $10 trillion market cap within the next 10 years, probably within the next five. Okay. Now, the next amazing thing that grew up during this, uh, during this cycle was stable coins. Um, and like I said, I had no idea what the value of stable coins were until they really started being used in exchanges. And now, now you can take your own stable coin and you can actually determine where now, and, and this is going to get into DeFi because sure. DeFi changed everything. Okay. And DeFi is what's, it's going to drive the next 20 years of, uh, of, of global finance into this whole crypto community. It's absolutely amazing. But the idea of these stable coins, as long as they are 
pegged to whatever you choose to peg them to. Most of them are pegged to the US dollar, one-to-one to, one to the US dollar. There's now stable coins pegged to an ounce of gold. There's stable coin pegged to, you know, to different buckets. Like, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, stable coins is one called Frax. It was just launched recently. It's a fractional algorithmic stable coin. So what they do is it's, yeah, worth, one, it's worth one US dollar by putting in some USDC, some DAI, some, uh, you know, some Tether. It just has like a, a basket of different things along with the governance token FXS that allows you to kind of, uh, it allows you to actually get rewarded by being part of the governance of this stable coin. Yeah, um, like an LP. I think, I think stable coins are on their way to 10 to $20 trillion within the next five years. It's already over 50 billion in, uh, in stable coins right now, and it's growing like crazy. Um, the smart contract platforms, you know, I mean, it's led by Ethereum, but there's another handful that, yeah. are, that are meaningful. Um, and the reason that those other handful are out there is because people recognize there's, there, there's, there's issues with getting, uh, you know, successfully getting Ethereum to, uh, to, to switch. And then the DeFi part that I want to, uh, you know, kind of really get into, this is, this is where I think it's all coming together, okay? When Hayden created that automated market maker, he allowed anyone to basically become the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. In other words, me, Charlie, any of us, we can come in, we can put in $100 or $1,000 or $100,000 or $10 million into any pool we want. And whenever there's trades made on that pool, we get a percentage of the fees charged from that from trading that stuff. Um, so now we can take any two crypto assets, put them into a liquidity pool, and make ridiculous returns. I mean, the DeFi, the entire DeFi category right now is only about 50 to 75 billion dollars. But I think this gets to 20 trillion faster than anything else. So in my opinion, these four top categories will reach close to $100 trillion in value within the next 10 years, maybe within the next five. If you add in the rest of the current major categories, like NFTs, centralized exchanging, lendings, derivatives, privacy coins, meme coins like Doge, um, you know, it's it's the perfect storm. We're in the early, early stages. What I'm hoping to do is I'm hoping that everybody that's listening to this just go in and get started. Here's what I mean by getting started. Open a, an account on Coinbase. Get a little bit of Bitcoin. Google something like, what is DeFi? Buy a little bit of a stable coin. Um, you don't have to just risk everything on wild, you know, oh, let me just put everything I have into Doge. That's insane. But learn about it. Do a little bit of research. Buy some stablecoin. Buy some Bitcoin. Download MetaMask. Yeah. Now you're able to provide liquidity to a pool on something like Vesper. Watch how much, I mean, there are, there are pools in Vesper that are earning 30 or 40% annual interest rates on like stable coins. That's basically like earning 30% interest on dollars. It's absolutely incredible what's being built out there right now. And, you know, between Charlie's podcast and, uh, you know, and some of the other, you know, knowledgeable podcasts out there, um, spend the time, learn, uh, and, 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 and just follow those steps. You brought up a great point. You said that we're in the first inning. And I think a lot of novices that um, look at this space, they go, oh, Bitcoin's too expensive. They first need to do their own research and realize you don't need to buy a whole Bitcoin. Like that's that's the first huge red flag for me. But we really are in the first inning because for the most part, there's still a lot of barriers to entry for the average, like my mom, right? She's 70. You say MetaMask and Coinbase. And unless you're yeah. under 40 or you're computer savvy, it's a little more challenging than just walking into a bank going, I want to open a checking account. But the reward is there, right? Because you hold those, 
you hold those stable coins and you know, what's your bank giving you? They're talking about negative interest rates, or yeah. you know, if you're lucky to get 0.02, you can get eight, nine, 10% on a stable coin. And I do think DeFi is the future. And, and man, you, we really, really are in the first inning of this. It's not too late. It's, it's anytime you see anything that comes into this space, that's a game changer. It goes through its growing pains. But once uh, you talked about Uniswap, I mean, one of the growing pains there, right, is that if you go there and you try to spend $100 of Bitcoin to buy $100 of another coin, you get $68 eaten up in these gas fees right yeah. now. It's insane. But if you just trust in the, the big picture and step back and, and just buy into the fact that do your own research, we are in the first inning. This is Bitcoin is still cheap. You know, when you think about the total addressable market and how big crypto is going to be. Ah, it's a good way of looking at the total addressable market. Yeah. That's a very good way of looking at it, especially that you guys have been throwing around numbers. Like that's really what it is. Like they're not, they're not large numbers because of the numbers that already exist in the tradition, tra tradfi or traditional finance or whatever it is. Like, I think just today, the value of all Bitcoin in circulation is the same as all of the dollars in circulation right now or something like that. Like that just came out. I saw it today. I don't know if it's dollars, but uh, yeah, it's uh, here. There's that's wow. oh, you guys can't see the chart. Digital, the weekly value of U.S. currency versus cryptocurrency. The amount of dollars in circulation is a little over two trillion right now, after the last stimulus or whatever in circulation, and then and then the value of all cryptocurrency is just match that today. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's pretty epic. Oh, I had such an important question to ask you, but I don't remember what it was. Jason, you ask a question. What you doing? <laughs> oh, no, we were talking about so stable coins. How, right? How, well, how would you make money with stable coins? Because it's stable. But, but really, how do decentralized stable coins, how will they exist? Because stable coins inherently are pegged to the value of something. And that yes. something needs to like sit somewhere. That's that's a stable coin. So when you're looking at like a like Frax or another decentralized stable coin where it's like a decentralized coin where you where you through a smart contract have ownership of fractions of other centralized and decentralized coins, is that what the future of a decentralized stable coin looks like? I I I believe a perfect example. Everybody should research this. Um I am an investor. Uh, I am very conflicted. Don't buy. This is not financial advice. Sure. Um, Frax, F-R-A-X. Go there, research it. It's really, really one. It's one of the most interesting new technologies that I've seen in a long, long time. Um, they they literally did exactly that, Charlie. They uh, they 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 took a an algorithm, and the algorithm works like this. When they first launched. It was 100% backed by USDC. So $1 of FRAX stablecoin was worth $1 of USDC. And so, you know, it, it didn't really do anything. Yeah. But little by little, they put in FXS tokens and the algorithm doesn't care whether it's 99.9% .9 USDC or 99.9% FXS you know, it's a shit coin, um, but it, it doesn't matter. The algorithm just simply tracks and makes sure that it's always valued at one US dollar. And with that technology, you can make a blend of sure. a Bitcoin and an Ethereum, two completely decentralized, um, two decentralized items can always equal one dollar. It's brilliant, man. It's super, super cool. What's, what's really brilliant about this, and I'm going to blow everyone's minds here, is everyone is saying to themselves, okay, well then, if you have this dollar backed by all these shit coins, it's like shitty mortgages, right? What's to say that, you know, if everyone tries to dump this stable coin at once against all these, and it's backed by, you know, shit coins or whatever it is, then no one will actually get their dollar back because it's backed. But... My response to that is in, in projects like this and in some of these other decentralized stablecoins, that's not what's happening because, because everything end to end is on that smart contract or on that blockchain. 
when Frax or one of these other ones is looking at which other stable coins to back its dollars, you know, stable coin, it actually can go and look at the order books in real time of those stable coins. So it can, it's not basing on like what the market of the last trade is of that coin or token. It's, it's valuing it at the bids. How many, how much money is bidding for this? And that's why something like that, you can never see like a run on the banks because it's not being valued at like what the overall market cap is. It's how it's valued at what people are willing to bid to get out of that. And a, a good example with Frax is uh, I watched it. It went live at uh, about two bucks. It pumped up to 20 some dollars and then it crashed all the way back down to like two bucks. It never changed its peg. It could crash. Actually, the FXS token can crash all the way down to zero. It will still maintain its peg. It's really cool. It's really cool technology. That's really cool. I'm excited to check it out. And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's nice. It's nice when my guests can use real world examples to show us like what is, is being built now, uh, uh, in the industry. Um, I want to, just because we're getting short on time and, and I want to talk about Miami really quick. So, um, you'll be in Miami in June. I'll be there. Jason will be there. The whole world, the whole crypto world will be there. My listeners, if they use the coupon code untold, they can get 15% off coupon. That actually discount code is not available anywhere. And that, that's like $100 of savings right there per each, each ticket because the tickets can get expensive. Um, so make sure everyone's there and, and, and comes and, and it's going to be amazing. What are you mostly excited for that? And Jason, I want to well, hear your answer too. Yeah. How about you, Jason? You know, I'm excited because uh, I like to be the dumbest person in the room, and that's not um, difficult for me to accomplish on a daily basis. But when it comes to the crypto world, I really love to learn about this space because we're on the precipice of what I really feel like is is a global phenomenon. And it's it's I would say even more than once in a lifetime. This is I know we've heard this a million times, but it's like the creation of the Internet. And I'm bought in. I'm I'm in with both feet. I completely believe in blockchain cryptocurrency as a disruptor in Bitcoin. So uh, I like to surround myself with, uh, you know, like the, the OGs, like the Charlie Shrems of the world uh, yourself and stuff. So I think the, the ability to learn, grow, network and be around like-minded people is, is what I'm looking forward to. Same, exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a real celebration. Um, you, you know, one, uh, one thing before we go, um, I've, I've yet to meet Michael Saylor. Um, that guy changed the world, man. Um, he literally changed the world uh, with, you know, with the bet, the crazy, insane bet that he made. Um, so I, I, I hope we can get into that, uh, you know, in a later uh, in a later episode. Hope you can get uh, Sailor on. I don't know if you've already had him, but I'm um, trying to get him on. We're working on yeah. it. He's a, he's a hard yeah. cat to get. I know. I know. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to be there just to try and get close and kind of I'm going to fanboy uh, Sailor at any uh, at any possible opportunity. I want to meet Tony Hawk because he'll be there. He's, he's so been an, cool. an idol of mine uh, since I was a kid. Um, hey, are oh, you into know, what? You know who else is going to be there is Francis Nagano. Oh, wow. UFC fighter Francis Nagano. You know what's crazy, right? Is you look at like back in the 90s, every basketball player wanted to be a rapper. Every rapper wanted to be a movie star. Movie stars wanted to sing. Now, like every athlete and every like celebrity is getting into the crypto space. It's crazy how this this technology has become the cool barometer now of like, oh, you're into crypto, you're doing NFTs. I mean, yeah. you ask Tom Brady what an NFT is, he's probably going to think it's an acronym for something in football. But but he's into he's, yeah. he's got the laser eyes. We were talking about it on the way over today. It's if you don't think this 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 blockchain crazy thing that's happening is changing the world, just go look at your local rapper. I mean, just it's crazy to see the mass adoption on such a huge scale. And it really, like you said, is still the first inning. It, uh, it really is early watching, uh, watching football players like, uh, you know, getting their salaries now in Bitcoin and, uh, you know, so many, so many different people are, you know, I mean, we've been, you know, Charlie will tell you, you know, we've been trying to do salaries on Bitcoin and, you know, a million Forever. different things for so long. It's a little complicated, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's are tough you, to do on a, on a small scale. Um, are you, you into know, martial scale. arts at all? What was that? Are you into mixed martial arts? Uh, I love watching it. I not, not performing it. No. Well, yeah. So, I w Jason, we should do something in Miami, like maybe for charity, where you like beat the shit out of me or something. 
<laughs> domestic violence with Charlie Sheen. No, but like, you know, <laughs> that's, that's how we can say it. Just get a punch in with Charlie Shrem. That's a, <laughs> that would be fun. That, Something if you like, say so. I mean, it sounds like unilateral fun, but if you're willing to, I don't know how that works. That probably is the worst idea to like really, it'll help raise money for charity while simultaneously bringing down the public view of MMA. They're like, you just beat up some guy that doesn't well, you know. joke, but, but influencer philanthropy is like huge. And, sure. in, and, and right now that's the largest amount of money going towards like charitable causes is coming from influencer philanthropy and stuff like that, where it's like, you make a fool of yourself raise a bunch of money, donate it to something. I'm, I'm down. I'm self-depreciating or deprecating or whatever it is. I forget which word it is. Is it deprecating? No, that's when I shit myself, right? <laughs> that's defecating. Defecating. I, that's deprecating. <laughs> I don't want to be, I'm self-deprecating de de consistently. You. Everyone for watching and listening Untold Stories. The show is produced by the Blockworks Group. And thank you so much for Scott Walker for coming on the show. Jason Chambers fits from the Vox Rocks recording studio here in Rochester, New York. Thank you guys. This was the funniest episodes. I'm going to go poop myself and, uh, and have, you, have a great day. Can't wait for Miami. See you guys. I can't wait. <laughs>